the season of the church year at the moment is Pentecost. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit into the church, upon the church, upon the disciples at Pentecost, which is an agricultural festival celebrated by the Jewish people. Everyone would gather in Jerusalem. And, and we said that that moment of God's power breaking forth, breaking out, erupting upon those early disciples was seismic. Was, it, it was completely and utterly transformative for them. It changed everything. And we said that actually without that moment, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, the, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus were obviously crucial, pun intended. But without Pentecost, it, there would have been no way for the message to get out. These disciples cowering in their brokenness, in their failure, in their pain, just wouldn't have had what it took to take the message beyond themselves. They didn't really, even until Pentecost, understand the message. But at Pentecost, they began to understand it in a deeper way, and they began to live it in a fresh way. I believe we're in a season before, in, around Pentecost as a church. And I say that to you, meaning Trinity Church. I believe we are in a, a fresh time here as a church. But I believe the church in this nation is just beginning to switch on to the, the, the desperation and the need that we have for the Holy Spirit of God in a fresh way. And I feel that. I feel there's a different level of expectation at the moment. I feel it. I see it nationally in the church. It's not in society yet. I don't see it, although there is a hunger for God. But I see it in the church nationally, and I see it here at Trinity, and I and I see it in all sorts of different ways. Just this last week, you know, the, the guys, uh, some of you are amongst this group, but we pray in the streets every Wednesday and we go out just humbly and gently because that's the way we should meet people, isn't it? <laughs> um, and we just say, look, is there anything we can pray for? But we are, while we're doing it humbly and gently, we're also asking, we're trying to do it more, more full of faith and we're asking God, is there any, can you be more specific with us, God? Because it's great to go and, and give an offer of prayer, but Lord, if you went before us and showed us the people who we're supposed to be praying for, it just would be better. It could be a lot better than it is, God. And it would be better, by the way, God, if you were healing people or if you were revealing your, your name and your glory to them. If, you were, if we saw salvation, that would be better. It, it's great to pray with people. It's great to see people move by the presence of God, but we, it, it could be better than this, God. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit that's even giving us a different imagination for what that time could be. And just this last week, I wasn't able to be there this last week, but just this last week, uh, George and a few of his uh, crew <laughs> uh, went out. And, and just as they were praying, I think it was George and Anna, was one of the two that got a picture of a, uh, somebody wearing a flat cap. And alongside it, the second, I, the second picture or word was, it was a picture of a hand and there was a brace on the hand. There's a specific picture here, which is that someone's got a problem with a wrist or a hand. And it, the particular problem is that they can't open and shut the hand. It's a specific thing. Probably to do with tendons. The doctors amongst you can pour forth over exactly what the problem is over the shared lunch after the service. Anyway, the, nobody found anybody on the streets wearing a flat cap who had a, a dicky hand, a dodgy hand. And so uh, the, the moment passed. And then later, George was in a restaurant enjoying some of the finest food Hockley has to offer. 
And uh, they were chatting with the, with the waiter and George, striking up conversation in the jovial, folksy way he does. Talking about the playlist and all the other stuff. You know, George, George, good old George. <laughs> and they struck up a rapport. And then as they were leaving, George realized that this guy was wearing a flat cap. And in that moment, he thought, ah, oh, we were praying for somebody earlier with a flat cap. And he saw that the guy had a brace on his hand. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a go. So he went to the guy and said, look, it's going, to, it's going to sound strange to you, but there's no normal way to say this. But look at my iPhone note, just, you know, Steve Jobs' fault. Look at my iPhone note, and on it, we were, just this morning, a few of us were praying on the streets. We're from a church. I'm a vicar, if you can believe it, said George. I'm also a musician and, uh, and uh, all these other things, but I'm a vicar and... <laughs> And uh, we just we pray on the streets, and we were praying if there was anybody today that we're going to meet who had a flat cap and had a problem with a hand. And the p- particular problem is that you struggle to open and close your hand. Does that describe you? And the guy who said, jaw hit the floor. He said, that's exactly the problem with my hand. George said, look, would you mind if we prayed for you? And they went behind the bar. <laughs> absolutely, Jeff. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Plenty of spirits behind that bar. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dad joke. Dad joke. Dad. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, let's just stay here. Let's not get to the, the scripture. I feel good. And, um, and just began to pray for him. And the Holy Spirit just touched him. He felt moved. And, and he just opened up. After he said, Look, I've been feeling so lost. I just don't know where I am. I feel so confused. Uh, thank you for praying for me. I feel lost. Please continue to pray for me. It's an amazing story. We're seeing a new level of expectation in our gatherings. I think the Holy Spirit's doing stuff in a new way. This last week, we had Third Wednesday, and it was a powerful time. It really was. I mean, you really did have to be there. It really did. It was really powerful. Uh, some of us prayed in some ways that we've never prayed before. My voice is only now beginning to recover, uh, but it, God was among us. We just felt God giving us a new heart for this city. This is what God is doing. We are, we've taken a step forward. This is, I think, this is not revival. Revival is what happens when a whole group of people inside and outside the church um, get filled with the Spirit of God at the same time. This isn't that. No way. Renewal, I think, of the church is what happens when everyone or lots of people within the church get filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. That's not what this is either, but we are beginning to move toward that, I think. And I think the Holy Spirit is available to us in a new way. And I'm pursuing this in my own life. I want you to know I want a personal revival in the things of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want God to restore my first love. I want God to give me passion. My particular prayer at the moment, just for the sake of accountability, is that God will break my fear of man. I feel like I'm still entangled and enmeshed by a fear of what other people think of me. And in order to lead you well and to lead what I think God has given us to steward, I'm going to have to not care what people think. And that's where I want to be. And the question I've been asking lately, in fact, I've been asking this question, I've been praying this prayer for over 15 years now, on and off, lest you think that I have that level of faithfulness. How can I have more of the Holy Spirit? Or how can I have more of God? And, and I want us to look at that question together today. And we don't have a PowerPoint. I put together this PowerPoint. Not my normal thing. No, no, no. Not just like different colors. Oh, I went big. But you can't see it because <laughs> the computer's broken. So we're just going to have to deal with my words and the word of God. I think we'll be okay. 
Let's look at that question. How can I have more of God? How can I have more of the Holy Spirit? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though, that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Let's leave it there for now. We meet Moses as he's wandering through the wilderness of Midian. He's working for his father-in-law. Can anybody imagine a worse scenario? (laughs) He's working for his father-in-law, shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law. Another dad joke. Come on, guys. This is is all you're going to get now. And the reason he's there, he's been exiled from his own land. He's no longer able to live amongst his own people. But really, at the, at the core of himself, he doesn't even know who his own people are. The reason he's been exiled from his own people, of course, is that he's committed murder. He's wanted for murder in his own land. On the side of the pyramids of Egypt, there is a mugshot saying, wanted for murder, with Moses' face on it. This is the situation Moses is in, and so he flees. Now Moses, for backstory, for those of you who don't know, Mo- Moses was born in the time of a genocide where all the young Boys were being put to death simply because they were being born into the Hebrew family, into the Hebrew nation. Moses, so the tradition of the rabbis goes, Moses' sister uh, beseeches her father and not to stop people procreating, but instead of to act in faith and to allow the children to be born. And Moses' sister and mom, I think, I imagine it, get together and put this plan together to put Moses in a basket, to line it with pitch and to put him on the Nile. And so they do this and he floats over the other side and arrives sort of at the shores, meshed within the reeds by the palace of the great pharaoh, the head of the greatest superpower of the time. Moses is there in the basket and he's found by the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopts him and she gets... Uh, Moses' own mother to be his wet nurse, to raise him. He's raised by his own mum, but not in his own home. He's raised a prince of Egypt and not a Hebrew slave. Now talk to me about how your childhood was confusing. That is a significantly confusing backstory, isn't it? And Moses, throughout his life, you see this. With his speech impediment and with all these other things, he's wrestling with his identity. He's confused fundamentally about who he is, at least for a lot of his life, at least until and beyond this moment we're looking at today. And now to add another layer, the people of whom he was born, to whom he was born, the Hebrew people, the Jewish nation, were being oppressed in the most incredible and and devious and horrific way by, as I said, the great superpower Egypt. And on one occasion, while he was still in Egypt, Moses lashes out because he sees one of his fellow people being oppressed. And this kind of bar fight goes too far, and he ends up killing the guy. He thinks he's got away with it, but the next day it becomes apparent he hasn't, and so he flees. He flees into the wilderness to quietly go about living in the midst of his identity crisis. He can't stay in Egypt as the prince nor can he stay as the slave. So he goes into the wilderness to find out exactly who he is. And God meets him. God meets him then. And God meets him there. Tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And God meets him in this place. It says he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Horeb, the other name for Horeb in the, in the Old Testament is Sinai. Those of you who know the story know that what awaits Moses is the most incredible call imaginable. That the things Moses will be used by God to do are so weighty, they're so sizable, they're so enormous that if only he knew now, he would not approach the bush. He would run away. That the things that God is about to place into his hand would would frighten anyone. And he encounters Moses at his lowest ebb. And this is the beauty of it. He encounters him at Horeb, at Sinai, the place where Moses will have his greatest spiritual high. It's as if God's just dropping his calling card, his business card. So when Moses comes back, he'll just always be drawn back to this moment. It's so gracious. It's so gentle. Moses has no idea at this point. It says, there an angel spoke to him. From within a bush. (laughs) In flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. It is not a great spectacle in the wilderness to see a bush that's burning. Ten a penny, or whatever the currency in Egypt or Midian was at the time. That's not rare. What is rare about this particular bush is that it is burning yet it's not burning up. So Moses sees something's happening here. And, and, and really, this is just like a, to change the metaphor, a, it's a honey trap. This is just to get Moses in. It doesn't seem like there's a particular significance to it, except it's just to attract Moses' attention. To pique his interest, and his interest is piqued, and so he approaches the bush. And as he approaches, he hears this. Moses thinks, I'll go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moshe, 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 Moses, Moses. The Lord calls him. Why does he use his name twice? Well, surely to attract his attention. It can be loud in the the wilderness, you know, the, the blur, the sort of bleating of the sheep. Maybe he's like, well, you know, I need to make sure I've got Moses' attention. I'm going to say it twice. If you really mean it, say it twice. Gracie! Gracie! I do that every so often in our house. (laughs) Insert other child's name. Baby! I wouldn't dare do that, of course. (laughs) Maybe it's to attract Moses' attention. Maybe it's to highlight the significance of the event, of what's about to approach. It's like, no, I need to mark this. It's like God, you know, using a highlighter. I think there's something of both of those two things. But my favorite explanation, the one I'm going with this morning, I read this this week, is that actually when you repeat somebody's name twice, it denotes intimacy. Amy. Amy. This is what we do when we love isn't it? We repeat. We, we say it twice. It's almost as if God is saying, Moses, you might not know me. In fact, Moses, you may not know you. But I know you. Moshe. Moshe. Moses. Moses. I'm calling you. I know you. But it's not so much God's call to Moses that I want to focus on this morning. I think that's amazing. 
hopefully enough for you to think about this week, but there's something here about Moses' response that is truly profound. Listen to this. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Look how he responds. This, this is incredible. You're not even going to believe it. The response is so shocking and profound that you are, your, your jaw is going to drop and hit your seat when I say this. Listen to what Moses says. When the Lord saw, he called Moses, Moses, and Moses said, wait, you ready? Here I am. Wow! Isn't that extraordinary? Like, of all the things he could have said, he says, here I am. You're looking a little confused. <laughs> it's, just, it's almost as if you're not with me. You don't get it in the English. But actually in Hebrew, it's just one word. Not three words, here I am. It's one word, and the word is hine or hineni. And it means, it, it can be, it, so one scholar says it's a bit like the noise you make when you just draw a breath. It's, like just, it's, it's almost like just clearing the throat. But it can mean lo, or behold, or here I am. It carries with it that sense of just an introduction, like when you clear your throat. <clears throat> yeah? It's like that. But actually, on particular occasions in the scripture, and this is one of them, it carries something way more powerful than that. You've got to watch out when you say this word, Hineni. Because it's a way of expressing total readiness and complete availability. Willingness to give oneself. It is an offer of total availability. That's what hineni means. And now you understand why Moses' response is just so powerful. It is incredible. Look at this again with me to catch the magnitude of this. What you're eavesdropping on here. Moses is called from the burning bush in a place of utter confusion and lostness. He hears God calling him by name twice uttering his name, signifying intimacy, and his immediate response is a no-holds-barred offer of his entire life. Whatever it would look like, whatever it would take, total availability, complete readiness, and complete and utter willingness to God. It's a profound moment. Now, of course, if Moses knew what it would take, what it would mean, he may have withdrawn the offer. And this pattern, this Hineni pattern, this double calling and this repetition of this word, here I am, I'm available, I'm ready, is repeated a number of times in Scripture. We see it with, with Abraham, don't we, in Genesis chapter 22. And again, I was going to rely on my slides here, but let me just read really quickly to you from Genesis 22. It's that moment where God calls Abraham, not for the first time, but he says this. Sometime later, chapter 22 of Genesis, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, later on in this chapter, we see this repeat, and he uses his name twice. Hineni, he replied, here I am. It's used with Abraham, and then, of course, God says, well, what I want you to do, Abraham, is give me your son, the son of the promise, the greatest gift I've ever given you. I want you to offer that to me. It's used by Isaiah 
Oh, what an incredible scripture in Isaiah 6. And those of you who know the Bible or have read it a bit, you know this, this moment where Isaiah, in his calling moment, shows up uh, in an open vision into the temple of God and he's caught up in the worship of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. And he sees the great host, the cherubim, the seraphim, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's an opening into heaven itself. It says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Talk about a burning bush. This is a burning building, and it's full of God's presence. And, and Isaiah's uh, response to this is, woe to me. He's just in the first five chapters of Isaiah been pronouncing woe on every nation. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. And here he says, woe to me. I'm undone. I come from a people of unclean lips and... I shouldn't be here. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. A seraphim, an angel comes and touches his mouth, and then this is what we read. He overhears a conversation in heaven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who's going to give a message, a really hard word to a disobedient people? Who are, who are on the edge, the cusp of exile, who's going to give them a word? Isaiah says, Hineni, Hineni. Send me. Hear me. It's used by Esther in response to Mordecai's question to her. Are you willing to be part of rescuing your people from genocide? Are you, gonna, are you willing to approach the king? To ask for an audience with the king, knowing that that could be the end of your life? Are you willing to do that? She says, here, Nani, here I am. We don't have uh, the Hebrew translation of Mary's response to the angel who asks her, will she become the host of God? Will she give birth to God? And I think she probably said something like, Hineni, let it be to me according to your word, she says. We see Jesus in a Hineni moment of at least one. He's in the garden, isn't he? He's sweating blood. And he says, Lord, I take this cup from me Yet not my will, but yours be done. Here I am. Use me. Use my life. Use my death. All those who've been filled by the Spirit of God, used by God in significant ways, in the Scriptures, beyond the Scriptures, before and after, have been used. Have prayed something like this prayer. Many of you have prayed this prayer. Somebody else has probably prayed this prayer over every one of us at some time or another. How many people like me who had their rebellious year or years uh, come and, and, you know, they come, uh, so many people come to me saying, my grandparents prayed for me. My grandma, she never stopped praying for me. Hineni, hine is the ultimate expression of worship and devotion. It's significant that every one of these stories comes from a moment of great crisis and presence. But note a few things. I want to say this really briefly so we can take communion together. Note who utters these words in each of these examples. We have Abraham, an old man who is past it. His greatest moments have been, really. He's already inherited the promise that he waited decades to receive. His wife, Sarah, is about to die. He's done his best work. He is ancient. Moses, 
a murderer, a criminal, somebody who has broken Torah, a sinner, wanted for murder. Isaiah, a posh dude, descended from kings, a prophet, one of those people who speaks one of those really posh accents. God uses him. Esther, beauty queen, with courage to burn. Mary, a poor young virgin girl. Jesus, a, a prophet, rabbi, a teacher, crucified outside the city in disgrace. Who can God use? Anyone. Because it's not about doing more. It's not about what you can do. It's about surrendering more. And anyone can do that. It's not about doing more. It's about surrendering more. And I say anybody can do that, but so few of us are willing and courageous enough. Sometimes the crisis occasions the surrender. You just have to be desperate enough to get there. Alcoholics Anonymous talks, doesn't it, about hitting rock bottom. And by the way, we'd be a richer faith tradition if we incorporated so, many of, so much of what we see there. Who can God use? Anyone? Secondly, look at this. When do they give their response? Look at Moses. <laughs> oh, how he would do it differently if it happened the other way around. In fact, you know, God says, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, Hineni, here I am, I'm available. And then God gives him his marching orders. And for the rest of the chapter, folks, Moses is like, can I have those words back? <laughs> no, 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 no. See, if you'd have told me you'd expected me to go to Pharaoh and say that stuff, I wouldn't have said what I just said. Can we go back to the start where you say, Moshe, Moshe, and I say, oh, this is a lovely ministry time. I love the songs. Oh, it's amazing. The melodies. I love coming to church. The burning bush. Ooh, it's so impressive. What's your next trick, God? Can we go back there? Before you ask me to face my very greatest fear, before you ask me to go to the place where I've, ex I've experienced shame and failure like nowhere else, Why you, why you want to call me there? Why you want to call me to minister my family? Why are you sending me back to? Why you want me to stay in Nottingham? I've done it here. I've seen it. Let me go somewhere more exotic. I could be useful to you there, Lord. We want to take the risk out of commitment, don't we, as a, as a society? You know, we are the society that created prenups. The contract that you write before you get married to say, look, if this doesn't work out, how are we going to divide all the stuff that we own? Just think about that for a minute. We put stuff before covenant. Crazy. But not with this lot. <laughs> 
They don't wait to see the small print before they give themselves to God. They're all in before God can finish the pitch. Just this Thursday, Bo was leading a group of our young people, and one of our young people just had a, a picture, a vision in their mind of, of, of one of them climbing a, a, a rock face. That's right, isn't it, Bo? And there was a sense of fear and trepidation as this rock face was being climbed. But the sense that this young person had was, don't be afraid, because Jesus is the one holding the rope. He's the one down the bottom holding the rope, so you will not fall. You will not trip. You'll be fine. Thirdly, look at what God can do with this kind of faith. Abraham built a family through whom God promised to bless the whole earth. Moses delivered that family from slavery and formed them into a people whose living example would change the world through whom and because of whom we have our laws today. Esther was part of God's rescue plan for that people, for that family tribe from a genocide. Isaiah spoke truth faithfully to power, to the king and to kings after. And he was the one that prophesied the promises of Jesus, who gave hope in the midst of disaster. Mary was to be the place where heaven and earth met in the man Jesus. She was the one who was given the privilege of giving birth to God. Jesus came to rescue all people, every person, every man, every woman, every child, from sin and slavery. He was the true Moses. He was the true Abraham. He was the one who, he is the one in whom we are named. He is the one in whose family we belong. He's the one who rescued us as Esther did. He's the one that speaks even today truthfully to power, who commissions and commands hope. Jesus is the one who offered and offers his yes. What can God do through Hanani? Anything, anything. My question as we began, as I conclude, was, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit? How can I have more of God? More recently, I've understood that that question needs to be reframed. And I want to read a quote to you, and it, again, it would have been on the screen. Listen to this. This is from a book about the Holy Spirit by a guy called R.A. Torrey, Reuben Torrey. He says this, It is also of the highest importance, from the practical standpoint, that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is merely some mysterious and wonderful power that we in our weakness and ignorance are somehow to get hold of and use. Or whether the Holy Spirit is a real person, infinitely holy, infinitely wise, infinitely mighty, and infinitely tender, who is to get hold of and use us. If we think of the Holy Spirit, as many do, as merely a power or influence, just as an aside, if you think of God in this way, you call the Holy Spirit it. Our constant thought will be, How can I get more of the Holy Spirit? The very question I began the morning with. But if we think of him in the biblical way, as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? This is the key. It's not how I can have more of God. The question is this, how can God have more of me? What would it look like for a group of people, a community of people, just to say together, Hineni. Have it, Lord. Have us. All that we are, all that we have, 
All our dreams and visions, Lord, we came with crafted vision statements. You may have better ideas. <laughs> Here, Nanny. We came thinking this, and you might be thinking that. Here, Nanny. I have these plans for my career, Lord. I've come to realize you may have different plans, Hineni. I think you want to use me in this way, Lord, but I just am open to you doing whatever you want, Hineni. What difference might we make in the city if we're able to say that simple word? Today, church, God is calling you. It might be he's calling you from the, mini, from the middle of a burning bush or from the middle of a burning life. But he is calling, and he's saying this, Moshe, Moshe, Amy, Amy, Duncan, Duncan, Kirsten, Marina. He's saying your names. He's uttering them twice. It's a call of intimacy. It's an invitation. It's a welcome. It's a gift. And he's asking, what will be your response? Gareth, Gareth, I'm calling you. What will be your response. He has great things for you. He's already prepared them. Your response is in your hands. It is in your mouth. And so the question is, are we ready to add our Hineni to that of those who've gone before? This is our moment. Why don't we take a moment in prayer? George, would you help me move the table? Let's just pray. Father God, show us if there are places within us where we're withholding from you anything that belongs to you, and most specifically, ourselves. And we simply ask that you would speak your word. Speak our name. and Give us the grace to speak back to you. Let's take a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts.